Hey, good morning, Edinburgh. It is good to see you. Thanks for being here this morning. Brave in the elements. You are true Minnesotans. Appreciate you guys. So glad you're here. I also just want to say hello to anybody joining us online, too, if you're tuning in this morning. Great to have you with us. Hey, uh, my name is Joshua, if you don't know who I am. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, I have the privilege of launching a brand new series today called What You Really Want for Christmas. And the premise is this. Let's be honest, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that we, we want for Christmas, right? Things that we hope will be under the tree on Christmas Day for us, material things. But if we're honest with ourselves, maybe there's things in our lives that we wish that we could really get for Christmas. Maybe it's, it's not something that you can put in a box and wrap up and, and put under the tree. But there are things that in our hearts and in the core of who we are that we secretly desire for Christmas. For example, maybe some of you, for some of you, you just want a Christmas season with no fear and, and, and no anxiety. A Christmas season is just stressful for you and you don't want that. Maybe for some of you, in your core, you, you kind of wonder around the Christmas season, does my life have any meaning? Does it have any purpose? Am I making an impact? Maybe for some of you, you're like, you know what I really want for Christmas? It would just be nice to slow down, to take a breath, to have some margin. And I have a feeling a lot of you are going to, maybe not this week, but in the weeks to come, that's what you're going to be craving. And that's actually what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about slowing down this Christmas season so you can really experience the joy of Christmas. Well, hey, um, raise your hand. If you are a fan of NASCAR racing, great, all two of you, that's, that's great. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Hey, well, if you don't know NASCAR racing, it's where a bunch of men and one woman drive really fast in circles around a racetrack that looks something like, like this. Now, I don't fully understand it, okay, and at one of my previous churches, a good friend tried to explain to me how it's a sport, okay? I don't get how it's a sport. In fact, uh, I thought for the longest time that NASCAR was an acronym that stood for non-athletic sports centered around rednecks. <laughs> okay, now let's be honest. The danger about talking that way about NASCAR is that NASCAR people also own guns, and they like, they like to kill things. So, uh, hey, if that's you, I'm just kidding. It's, I'm just, it's just humor, okay? I'm just trying to have a little... I mean, I could learn to like it. It's better than bowling, right? I mean... <sighs> actually applauding for that. Wow. Well, the reason that I bring up NASCAR in particular is because I think NASCAR is the perfect metaphor for how we live our lives today, especially over Christmas. I mean, our culture actually fuels this rapid pace mentality. And I don't see any indication that it's going to slow down soon. We live life at double speed. We not only live fast, but what do we do? We actually view busy people with a sense of prestige, a sense of awe, right? We actually have a term, right? We actually greet people with a sense of busy. Have you ever heard this today? Hey, are you keeping busy? These days, we say that to people as if that's an honorable thing to do. 
You know this, I know this. Busy is the norm. Yet when I talk to people and I listen to their struggles and sometimes their pain, especially around Christmas, what I hear from their point of view, it always connects with the pace of life that they're choosing. Keyword, choose. Because busyness is a choice. I hear people say all the time they don't have time. They don't have time for their marriages. They don't have time for their kids. They don't have time for friendships. And they don't have time to develop their faith. Now, how many of you would be willing to admit, okay, just let's be honest. How many would be willing to admit that maybe the way you live your life is a little too busy? I actually want you to raise your hand if you're willing to admit that. Because I want you to look around and I want you to see you are not alone. Okay, those of you not raising your hand, we're so glad you're joining us from Iowa today. It's great to have you. Well, the impact of busyness, it can be seen in all types of ways, okay? How many, how many of you got in a fight on your way to church today? Okay, some of you are looking at each other. I saw it. Okay, how many, or maybe not today, but some, and it goes like this, like, hurry up! We're going to be late, we got to go worship Jesus, get in the car, right? Because we're running late. Okay, if that doesn't describe you, maybe this will. Have you ever pulled up behind the first person at a stoplight, okay, at a red light, and if that person doesn't leave, the nanosecond the light turns green, you either honk or get anxious. Is that you? Oh, okay, maybe, maybe you can't relate to that one. Are you so time conscious that when you go grocery shopping, you stress out over which line to actually stand in? You run logarithms in your mind, okay? Like, okay, the number of items in the cart times the number of people in line divided by the age of the checker, okay? And then you stand in line, and you're not calm, no, no, you're competitive because you're looking at where you would have been had you picked a different line. And then if you win, you're so excited. You like, you like high-five the beggar, right? You taunt the people in the other line. Is you, am I the only one that does this? Okay. Right. Well, busyness is also described in, in less humorous ways, right? Busy people, I think, can have a lack of, of personal depth, which results in superficial relationships, which I think results in wounded hearts. For those of you who don't know how to slow down, and I'm telling you, I am one of those people, here's my gut check Christmas season question. In your NASCAR-paced lifestyle, where's Jesus? Is Jesus in the car with you? Is he riding shotgun? Is Jesus in the pit crew, like helping you like speed things up? Or maybe Jesus, he's in the tower, he's giving you directions and telling you to put the pedal to the metal and go faster. Is Jesus in the stands watching? Or could it be that Jesus is outside the racetrack, wooing you away from the racetrack that's wounding your, your relational heart, and it's stealing your Christmas joy. Friends, I think God's people 
I think we're choosing a fast-paced lifestyle while trying to follow a Savior who walks. Now, I'm not sure where you are in your spiritual journey, but I can assure you that, that the point of Jesus coming, what Jesus wants for your life, is he wants to give you breath. He wants to give you margin. He desires peace for you, and he even wants rest for you. It's a phrase, there's, a, there's some scripture that really pops out at me about Jesus making this connection. It's found in Matthew 11. Here's what Jesus said to us. He said, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Friends, I think there's a connection. I think there's a connection between being yoked to Jesus and slowing down. Now, that last verse, I think, could be confusing for some people. Take my yoke upon you. You might be thinking, I don't even like eggs. Right? <laughs> hey, well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Let me define this for you. To take my yoke upon you is to be connected to him, to be a, a disciple, a follower to join with him. You see, the yoke was a common reference during those biblical times to a wooden frame. And this wooden frame, it would fit over the shoulders of animals. I have a picture of what that looked like. And it would harness them to one another so that they could walk in partnership, so they could work together. They could share the burden of the job or life. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, hey, Josh, hey, Josh, be yoked to me, not to the fuel-injected Christmas season. Walk with me. Learn the rhythms of my life and how I love and engage with people. I think the promise of this partnership is so appealing. It just, it says something to my heart especially over the Christmas season. Friends, busy is the enemy of faith and relationships. Why? Because spiritual life can't be rushed. Love cannot be hurried. So what was the character of Jesus? What was Jesus like? Do you know what Jesus was like? Chill. Seriously, Jesus was chill. He was relaxed. Jesus doesn't call us into a frantic life. And he doesn't call you and I into a followership of busy. What did Jesus model? When I read through the account of Jesus, when I read through Jesus' life, I see three things that pop up that I want to share with you today that, that fuel this idea of chill. First, Jesus stopped to love. He did it all the time. Jesus stopped to love. In Mark 5, Jesus gets off a boat and he's met by what's called a synagogue official is a high-ranking person, and his daughter was deathly sick, okay? This high-ranking official says to Jesus, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus says, yes. And they begin to walk, head towards this guy's house. Now, the Bible tells us everywhere Jesus went, okay, there was a crowd. There was always a parade, okay, when Jesus was around. So this parade begins moving towards the guy's house, 
And as the parade is moving, there's a woman in the crowd who is so desperate for healing that she's thinking to herself, if I could just touch the cloak of Jesus, I can be healed. And so as the parade's moving along, she works her way through the crowd. She touches Jesus' cloak, and she's healed. And Jesus stops the parade. He stops. And he says what I think could be construed as one of the dumbest questions you could possibly ask in a large group of people. He says, and he says this to the dad. He says, who touched me? He stops. Now just imagine for a moment being the dad. What do you mean who touched you? It could have been any one of us. Jesus, I got an agenda. Your agenda is to keep moving, to get to point B where my daughter is. That's a dumb question, Jesus. Let's go. But Jesus stopped. And when I read this again and again, for some reason, verse 32 just jumped out at me. Here's what it says. It says, but he, Jesus, he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Friends, could I submit to you that that's what love does? Love stops. Love looks around. Love glances around to find those in need. Friends, Jesus models a love that stops. Second thing I see in Jesus' life is that Jesus took his time. Jesus took his time. He was never rushed. There's an event recorded for us in John 11 regarding one of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus. Verse 3, it says this. So the two sisters, okay, this is Lazarus' sisters, two sisters, they sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, that's the sisters, and Lazarus, his friend, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Hey, Jesus, your best friend is dying. Okay, we're going to stay put for two days. He just takes his time. He's kind of like, eh. Now, I'm not sure Jesus would have made a good church hospital visitation pastor. Hey, Jesus, there's someone down at Mercy. Okay. It takes so much time for him to get there. When they get there, Lazarus is what? Dead. <laughs> Talk about a delay. Talk about sisters being ticked off, right? But Jesus took his time. The third thing I see in Jesus is that Jesus called others to slow down. He called other people to slow down. In Luke 10... Jesus is trying to teach this relaxed truth to a woman named Martha. Ironically, the same Mary and Martha that we read about in the previous story. If you don't know the event, it went like this. Jesus is in the house of Mary and Martha, and dear friends, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Okay, this is what people would do at the time of a great, at that time in, in, in front of a great teacher or a rabbi. So Jesus is in the house, he's kicking back, right? And Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Martha, on the other hand, she is scrambling all over the place. She's trying to clean up. She's trying to get food ready. You can almost imagine that Martha, right? Can you picture this? She's in the other room, like looking in there, trying to get Mary's attention. Like, hey, get in here and help me. You're right? Can you picture this? I can totally see this. Finally, Martha has had it, okay? She's just, I'm fed up with my sister. She comes into the room 
And she said, I could just picture, okay, is this bad? Poor Martha. I picture this, this whiny voice, okay? She says, Jesus, don't you care that my sisters left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me, right? Whiny pants, right? You know what Jesus says? Martha, Martha, Martha. My dear Martha. He says, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Chill. Relax. I think we've turned following Jesus into a race when it's really more of a walk. Man, Christmas of all holidays, friends, it's about what? It's about focusing on him. And what I'm talking about today, it's so counterintuitive, right, to how we live our life. I I think it's actually counterintuitive to how followers of Jesus think. I think we somehow think that we got to get more done, right? I got to do more for Jesus because if I do more for Jesus, then he's going to be happier with me. The more productive I am, the happier Jesus will be. Because, of course, that was one of Jesus' most important commandments, right? You need to get more done. Nope. He never said that. If you don't know, the two greatest commandments that Jesus laid out were love God and love people. Now, I'm not suggesting a lazy life. What I am suggesting is this. Less race, more love. So how do we get there? How do we slow down in the real world? How do we experience less race and more fullness and rest for our souls over this Christmas season? Now, I want to get really practical with you, so I'm I'm just going to stick with the whole driving imagery for for the next half of this message, okay? So when you're in a car, you come to a stoplight, right? We see them every day, Uh, and and, and when 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 you do, you get to the red light means... The green light means, the yellow light means, okay, all right, okay, some of you are like speed up, some of you said slow down, all right, very funny, okay. Well, let's just, let's start with the yellow light, okay? Here's what I want you to do this Christmas season at the yellow light. I want you to slow down to evaluate what's beneath my yes. Now, that three-letter word, it can sometimes be a four-letter word because it can be a dirty word. Yes is what makes us so busy. Talking about this one, it's not easy because it really will require a lot more thought, friends. So I'm going to ask you to get off the highway, okay, get off the freeway, pull into a rest stop, and let's just evaluate what is it that's really fueling your heart. Because busyness is a heart issue, okay? Some of you think it's an efficiency issue. If I was just more efficient, if I was more organized, I wouldn't be so busy. You think busyness is a disordered schedule. I would argue that I think busyness is a disordered heart. And we don't want to confess that because we might be afraid to admit that if we have a disordered heart, then there must be something wrong with me. So I'm going to ask you, brother to brother, brother to sister, I'm asking you to dig down deep and you need to get under the surface of why you're busy. You show me a busy person, I can almost guarantee you I will show you a broken person. They're broken somewhere. They're either emotionally broken 
or they're relationally broken, or they're spiritually broken. Now, since I want you to go there, okay, I'll go there. I admit it. I'm broken. I'm emotionally broken. What I mean by that is that I struggle with insecurity. I have my whole life. And when you struggle with insecurity, you become a classic people pleaser. It's when you want to please people because when you please someone and and say yes to them, they validate you, right? And then all of a sudden you feel a little more secure about yourself. Are there any people pleasers in the room? You know who you are. Let me see where you are. Okay, now the reality is, is that you had to raise your hand because you're a people pleaser, and I asked you to. I'm just saying. Now, most of you probably weren't even sure why, but you're like, well, he asked me to raise my hand, so I better raise my hand. That is a classic people pleaser. But because of my brokenness, my emotional insecurity, and my emotional DNA, I like to save the day. I'm being completely honest with you. I like to be the hero, okay? I like to be wanted. I just don't like to admit it. But here's what happens when I admit it. When I bring that insecurity out into the open, okay, follow with me here. What I can do is if I'm honest and I pull it out, then I can align it to what I value, okay? As opposed to saying yes because I'm broken. I can now make decisions based on what I value. Does that make sense? Let me illustrate this for you. Uh, Several years ago, when we used to live in uh, Iowa, I was a youth pastor down there, and I got a call from the camp down there. It was Pine Lake Camp. And the the camp coordinator called and said, Josh, you can save the day. I'm listening, right? He said, Josh, here's the deal. Our speaker just canceled for the weekend. We need a speaker so bad. We'll double your honorarium if you can come. Otherwise, we got to cancel the weekend retreat. So here's what I did. I had to pull out that insecurity and say, I want to be the hero. Here's the other thing you didn't know about that weekend. We had a family event planned that weekend. We were driving up to Minnesota. We had a family, an extended family. It was a family reunion of some sort. And so I had to pull that out. And I had to look at and say, do I really want to do this because I feel some insecurity and I want to save the day? But what do I value? Well, I'm telling you right now, I value my family. My family is important to me. And when I put those side by side, the decision really wasn't that hard. I said no to the camp because I value my family. And you know what? They found someone else. And it went fine. You see, does that make sense? Friends, when I look at my life and I'm stressed and I'm out of control and I'm overwhelmed, you know, I, I got to pause. I pause. I'll talk to my wife, Christina, about it. And it almost always comes back to too many yeses. So you got to slow down. You got to dig deep and find out why you're saying yes. Let's talk about the red light. Red light means... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop saying yes and develop a no muscle. It's a muscle. It's not easy to say no. It's a muscle that has to be developed. Can any of you relate to a situation when you knew you were going to say no? Okay, I bet everyone in here, you knew, okay, I'm going into this. I'm going to say no. 
but then you flounder, okay? Well, maybe, I don't know, I got to think about it. And then you see the disappointment on their face and say, okay, I'll do it. Have you ever done that? Uh Uh-huh. It's difficult to say no, so you have to learn saying it. It's okay to say no. So you know what? We're just going to practice that word, okay, on three. One, two, three. Okay, that was pretty good. This side was particularly weak. Let's try that with a little more, a little more emphasis. On three, one, two, three. No. There you go. That's better. In Spanish, one, two, three. No. You are bilingual. <laughs> Way to go. Congratulations. Why do I want you to say no? Because every yes is an invitation to more busyness. Every time you're saying yes, you're actually saying no to something that might be more valuable and important. And if we're really honest, let's just be honest, it's really not that hard to say no. I mean, it's it's easy to say no to the easy stuff, right? Like, hey, honey, do you think we should vacation in Idaho? No. Who does that, right? No, that's, that's an easy no, okay? But unfortunately... Life isn't full of easy yeses and nos. That's the real world that we live in. But I also know this. We all complain about not having enough time. Every one of us. But every one of us has something in common. No matter how old you are, no matter how much money you make, what your occupation is, who your friends are, we all have this one thing in common. 1,440 minutes a day. You can't change that. 1,440 minutes in a day. And if you have so much to do, maybe you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. Maybe you're saying yes, and it's wounding your relational soul. Jesus didn't say yes to everything, okay? He didn't heal everyone. Did you know he actually walked through communities, and he left needs there? And he had a lot to do. I mean, you try being the Savior of the world. Oh, wait. Some of you are trying to be the savior of the world. Let me really step on your toes. And I'm actually going to give you a really specific thing to say no to more often this this Christmas season. Say no to technoference. Technoference is a term that social scientists are giving to us who allow our mobile devices to get in the way of our primary relationships. I see this played out all the time at a restaurant. Have you ever seen a scene like this? Right? We all see this. Maybe we've even been guilty of this. I want to be very gentle here, but also firm. Some of you in here, you're having an affair. It's not with another man or another woman. You're having an affair with this. You love it. You dream about it. Okay? It consumes you. You pull it out. You stress out when you've misplaced it. Right? You're always trying to turn it on. Yeah, I went there. You keep it charged. You take it into the bathroom with you. Okay? You sleep with it. You can't relax without checking to see what's going on with all your friends. And in doing so, we violate the relational principles 
of loving God and loving others. It's getting in the way. To those who are overconnected out there, and you're underconnected right here. You're overconnected with all the friends you need to check in on and see what they're doing and where they were this weekend. But in your primary relationships and with Jesus, you're underconnected. I'm not anti-technology, okay? I, I'm, I use it, I'm on it, I get it. My point is, we need to not be so yoked to this and be more yoked to Jesus. We have to figure out how to say no to more. Because the healthier I get as a human being, the more capable I am to say no. And I know it's difficult, okay? Nobody likes you to say no to them, right? And they want to take you on a guilt trip. And that's why we have to do the third thing, the third light, which is the, the green light. And green means, here's what I want you to do this Christmas season. I want you to go on a relaxed walk with Jesus. Now, maybe it's not a literal walk, okay? Maybe it's just some dedicated time alone with him where you're just still. Because when we spend time alone with Jesus, guess what? He'll give you the wisdom on what to say no to. Here's what I know about you. As soon as I said, spend some time with Jesus, you immediately feel guilty. Here's what almost everyone says. Okay, every time, like, hey, how you doing in your walk with Jesus? I, it's, they say it every, I need to read the Bible more. It's almost robotic. I need to read the Bible more. It's, seriously. We've turned faith into a religious activity rather than a relational connection. For some people, their faith, it's all about religious activity. Yeah, I got, I got to be in that Bible study. I got to go to this class. I got to be in that small group. Listen, I'm not saying don't read your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't be in that small group. But for some of you, when I say be in the presence of God, you immediately go to the guilt. Can I say to you as your friend, knock it off. Don't go there. Don't let guilt drive you. Just go. Just get away. Be still and be quiet and be in the presence of God this Christmas season. Maybe you just find a quiet corner in your home and for an hour you just think on God. Maybe you just sit there and you just enjoy his presence. Maybe you, you recognize the beauty that God is giving you. You talk open with, with him like he's right there on the couch next to you. Just be in the presence of God. You know what that means? That means you're yoked to him. I want you to see this image one more time. The, the two ox. Side by side. We walk next to Jesus. Friends, when we do this, he shares in our journey, our struggles, our work, our daily lives. 
the bottom line, what I want to say to you, slow down this Christmas. Less NASCAR, more walking with Jesus. So what if this Christmas your life was not about the chase, it wasn't about the pace, it wasn't about the race? What if it was more identified by experiencing his grace? What would your life look like if you were to take these ideas and apply them to your life? I'll tell you exactly what I think it would look like. I think it would look like less stress and more peace. I think it would look like less race and more love. Less busy, more Jesus. That's what I think it would look like. And what if the next time during the season someone said to you, hey, you keeping busy this Christmas season? You looked at him and said, I'm trying not to. Friends, slow down this Christmas season and enjoy the significance of what Jesus is, or what Christmas is all about. Amen? Cool. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team out at this time, and as, and as we close, here's what I want for you. I just want you to be still. We're heading into a busy season. I just want you to be still. I want you to just sit. I want you to relax. And my hope is this, that as the worship team sings this song over you, that it would do just that. It would just wash over you. And that you could just kind of feel God's presence come and just wrap around you this morning. And that you could just kind of empty yourself, take a breath, slow down, and experience Him. Cool?